Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, where, as usual, we'll be bringing you our thoughts on three topics in and around the hotel investment space and uh, also linking to allied uh, rooms with beds businesses too. This week, we're going to start by taking a look at what's going on in co-living, that sector that uh, most of us older generation characters probably don't understand all very well, but uh, it seems to be the sort of thing that appeals to uh, folks who've been through the student accommodation uh, experience and have graduated into the world of work and they seem to quite like sharing a home together especially as uh, accommodation is so expensive in urban centres. We're seeing quite a bit of a flurry of activity uh, in this space at the moment uh, with quite a few players particularly in Asia looking to consolidate and scale up and uh, the big the big issue, a uh, big new arrival into this space is from um, the uh, big Asian investor Capital Land um, and uh, they, of course, already have uh, Ascot, which is their kind of serviced accommodation uh, division. Uh, they've launched a new brand. It's called Life, L-Y-F, and that's their big play into the, the, the co-living space. They reckon they're going to build up a portfolio of 150 locations by 2030. They're looking to get 30,000 units uh, built and under their brand. Um, which means they're making a seriously big play into it. They also talk about more than just basically building accommodation. They're looking at the ways they can appeal to this uh, this this target market with tech and a variety of ways for them to interact with one another um, virtually and physically uh, around uh, the space and the, uh, the shared spaces. They're not the only ones in the market who are actively looking to get going. There's also recently been an emerger between Hamlet and Habit. Uh, again, it seems in this space you have to misspell a word to to create your brand. Um, and those Leave the are vowels uh, out, a, I think. Yeah. Singer... Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, it's like you've dropped the Scrabble bag and you haven't <laughs> quite got all of the, all the letters there. Um, so so uh, these two are active uh, in ones in Europe and ones active in and around Singapore. And the pair have combined uh, again with the the idea that they're going to be able to scale up. Uh, they've they've got already got plenty of investors on board who are quite happy with this kind of cross border activity. And uh, off they go. It's all about building scale, getting traction. The other interesting point is that several of the uh, new co-living spaces that are being created, certainly in and around Hong Kong, are uh, hotels that are being purchased and then repurposed for uh, co-living communities. So all go, apart from perhaps in the UK, where uh, uh, Gravis, the investment manager who uh, took over the assets of the collective, has had to put its planned IPO of a co-living REIT on hold, uh, blaming the Ukraine war uh, for distracting uh, investors. Uh, they were looking to raise £300 million and uh, go out and start developing and acquiring more co-living spaces in and around the UK. Uh, so that one's on hold for now, uh, apparently due to the war. Yeah, it's a puzzle, that one, um, uh, whether that was just a reflex uh, knee-jerk reaction because they thought there was going to be highly disturbed. But, I mean, we haven't really seen that much uh, sort of unsettlement in the capital markets as a result no. of the of the, the invasion. So um, I'm slightly surprised that they haven't already announced that it's going to go ahead again because I think there's plenty of appetite out there. I was tickled by your notion, Chris, that, uh, uh, that people 
like living um sharing houses um, i think it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a necessity certainly my recollection of it when i first started my when i first went into the world of work after university it was uh, there was no other choice you just had to rent a room because that's all you could afford to do but uh, and um i guess it was kind of fun but it's sort of the nostalgia you know the reality of it you would you have chosen to live in a slightly better conditions of course you would really i mean i remember the sticky carpet from from nobody ever bothering to clean it sort of thing um <laughs> in, in the shared house uh, now, the one upside was I, I shared a house with a guy that uh, worked on a um back in the days of vhs videos if you remember them um and he 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 worked on a he, he had reviews of early release films so it was quite every every evening we had a, a an interesting film to watch so that was the highlight of that for me but but yeah i i think certainly having a professionally managed place which is you know the carpets are cleaned um is appealing i think and and that that does make a lot of sense um and yeah and you know you can't if you if you're working in a city center i mean the location um not having to commute for like an hour and a half um into it the center is certainly very appealing indeed and you'll sacrifice a bit of space um and and having to share to actually have that better location so i think that's there the other thing i mean i banged on about in uh, my comments for the perspective we've just put out um on this is uh yet again i'm making parallels with the evolution development of the uk budget hotel market now it seems <laughs> almost every every new thing we get i i run a parallel with, oh it's just like the budget hotel market um and i've certainly said that about the the purpose-built student accommodation market where we've had you know a, a market which was dominated by hmos houses of multiple occupation which were a bit shonky a bit shoddy uh, a bit like the old uh, uh cheaper end of the the uk hotel market along comes something uh, shiny new and nicely built and run and people um prefer it um the same thing and that and is true in terms of how the the you know the, in terms of the the student accommodation market and that's how the the budget hotel market grew um but the same thing is true also for this next stage after student life um um sort of co-living it seems to be the increasingly popular term um um uh, that is evolving uh, you know for the s for similar reasons um and it's interesting the gavis uh, the gravis rather ipo prospectus um lays out like most of these prospectuses they're, they're quite good for getting an overview of the market and the motivations and so forth and it lays out uh you know what is going to drive this market forward and what's interesting about it is the potential size of it and we've talked about on this podcast and within the pages of hotel analyst repeatedly about this uh, uh blurring of the lines between different types of uh residential the ultra short stay the one night of hotels with the slightly longer extended stay piece going into the what is the student accommodation piece which is at least termly but usually yearly going into then this co-living piece which is perhaps one two three year type things but short-term contracts and ultimately going into the the uh um sort of short short old tenancies where uh, six months plus but usually significantly longer than that um and finally going into the the, the owner occupier piece um and 
there is this blurring of the lines between all these um and if you look at the size of these respective markets i think it's fascinating that uh, the co-living piece according to gcp is potentially bigger than what is a pretty substantial um student accommodation piece so they say well look the the student accommodation market by 2025 is going to be worth 70 billion pounds um but co-living by 2025 even bigger at 75 billion um so this is really interesting but i think where the 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 big interest is going to be is beyond this is in the bill to rent market which is an absolutely humongous market because the residential property market is very big very it's much bigger than the commercial property market um so in terms of numbers that were put into that gravis report um you that they were talking about the private rented sector just the rental bit of the residential market being worth uh 1.2 trillion or 1200 billion in the uk now this is almost a third bigger than the entire commercial property market so it's it's humongous and if you look at the overall resi bit um well I mean, it's hard to get a number for the entire uk but just looking at london it's um 1.9 um trillion um so it's absolutely ginormous um so that, that, that no wonder there's a lot of excitement and interest if we can get access to that by institutional money right now in that marketplace you're talking about three percent or so is um exposed to in institutional money now i i think it, it, it's very far-fetched to imagine that it's going to be um much much bigger uh, very quickly um, but you only need you know a fraction of a percent to be a quite significant share there um, and I think this is going to be a, a, a big uh, focus and I think what really adds to this is is the the need to supply those communal services which we've seen in the hotel sector which we're good at in the hotel sector um, they need that understanding in these new uh developments that they're they're bringing to the market so i i think it's going to be uh very interesting for for um hotel like investors hotel investors who are prepared to think just a bit beyond um a straightforward hotel um and think about how well you know we've had budget hotels we've had pbsa we're now getting co-living and the bill to rent piece is also sort of adjacent to that too so there's lots of options lots of excitement and uh very much um something to be excited about i suppose the holy grail must be you get them into your student accommodation and then once they've graduated you have a linked um, co-living product you get to get your graduates into and then once they start thinking about um, nesting and having a family you 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 migrate them into your one and two bedroom build to rent apartment blocks well i think the ultimate chris if you if you if you look at uh, operational real estate um in terms of you start off um at a nursery uh, well in fact you know you start off at uh, at a maternity <laughs> hospital then you go into right. a nursery then you go into a, a school building then you go into student accommodation then you go into co-living then you go into multi-family let um 
and then um you go into elder living and then after elder living well then you 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 die but even cemeteries yeah 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 yeah, care homes but even cemeteries even cemeteries can can be seen as part of this so it is quite literally cradle to grave one um, of the hotel companies that definitely seems to have decided that the pandemic is behind us all and we need to start cracking on is the Israeli group Fatal. Um, they've uh, just recently announced they are raising around 400 million euros from a selection of Israeli uh, institutional investors to uh, prepare them to get out and start buying hotels across the European market. They've also revealed that they're going to be tidying up their brand portfolio. And for us in Britain, it's a very sad moment because they're going to be dumping the Juries in brand. All of the hotels around the UK, the previously Juries in, are going to be rebranded as Leonardo. It's something they they previously have been doing in um, in the Netherlands where they bought the Apollo brand a few years back. Uh, so tidying up the portfolio, uh, growing the portfolio. Uh, and the interesting thing for, from our point of view is that uh, Leonardo is very much built uh, across Europe by being in city hotels. But now they have decided as a group they're going to be looking at uh, resort markets around the Med. Uh, they reckon they've done pretty well with resort hotels in their home market of Israel where they've got plenty. And um, why not? Why not spread their wings and um, start buying? So um, they're, they're a canny bunch, and maybe they will find opportunities to purchase hotels where others are perhaps struggling. But uh, otherwise, they could just be uh, stuck there in the bun fight with everybody else, looking for this famous unicorn, the distressed hotel purchase. Uh, yeah, yeah it's, it's more of the jury's brand i think more of a republic of ireland thing than britain i'd suggest i mean obviously we've got a lot of them here in britain that's very success but it's come out of out of ireland and i think uh, so the irish times they had a feature on this when when the news broke um that the the brand is likely to to bite the dust towards the end of this year so um yeah i mean it's mm. one of the I'm trying to think of another. I guess you got Doyle, haven't you, as another Irish hotel brand? But um, but it's one of the most prominent, uh, certainly Irish hotel brands, which are which is going to disappear. Um, but looking at this, I mean, it, what what we've got here is uh, is kind of uh, uh, with Fatal is is a company that has stood conventional wisdom we certainly in the uk we'd seen a lot of these owner operator companies run into trouble and they've not done um they've not had stellar performances whereas fatal has uh, uh, broken that mold and has done phenomenally well um with that vertically integrated piece with the controlling the property and controlling the operations and controlling the brand the bit i'm perhaps still skeptical on is quite where that 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 bit at the top um of the the pyramid if you like the brand piece how that's going to evolve and whether they actually have the resources they need to really drive that forward because i think even at their their scale they are what are they 220 227 hotels they've got at the moment even with that number i just don't think that that's a a a brand uh, you know work you know they don't have the resources to invest sufficiently in their brand when you compare them to the sort of global majors the Hiltons the Marriott's um, which have 
you know thousands of hotels and you know they're into the million plus room territory I, I, I just don't think they've got the resources to do that um, the interesting bit for me is you know if we can ever get Pandox to open up because obviously Pandox are, are big owners of the Jury's brand and um, that they also have in the UK uh, Hilton's and they have a Radisson and an Adagio and how much better or not the the system delivery is for those global brand majors relative to um to the smaller significantly smaller uh, um systems of uh, well what, what will be now leonardo rather than juries so uh um, that that to me is the, the the bit that i'm slightly puzzling with whether actually fatal end up going down the track of um becoming a uh uh owner and operator but uh, adopting adopting um global international brands um and that what's interesting with that is they i suppose they're more on the operating side in that they're taking the leases and pandox also does a bit of the operations but mostly it's on the ownership side and it's how we've got this overlap between those those businesses and ultimately the overlap too with the uh, the global majors and how that all plays out is going to be one to watch take a look at what's going on with some of the chinese uh hotel groups that are listed elsewhere in the world and uh, news that uh, Green Tree Hospitality is potentially looking at uh, delisting. They're talking with a potential investor to delist themselves off their US market. Um, the uh, apparently the trigger for this is that their share price is is substantially down year on year, and you have to wonder kind of why that is. Um, uh, the, yes, the Chinese market is doing. Uh, poorly in the short term as they pursue their kind of zero COVID policy there um, but uh, there are no obvious reasons why uh, Green Tree is doing particularly worse than any other Chinese company but perhaps the the other thing we should be considering is the fact that uh, US investors in particular seem to love uh, what they consider to be tech stocks and are perhaps falling out of love with less exciting stocks that are perhaps from a part of the world that they can't uh, understand as well or get as excited about maybe um I, i'm not sure i've got the tech bit um i think you're i think the issue is that the these chinese stocks are looking a lot less exciting than they did i think most of that change has come following the invasion of ukraine by russia uh, there's now an autocracy discount being applied to the share prices of Chinese companies listed on Western exchanges. I think there's a big, big issue there. Um, but uh, also, I think in terms of the, the story that uh, Green Tree has um, is less strong, um, given the challenges that the Chinese economy um, appears to be um, having. Um, so, in terms of you know when we've got double digits runaway gdp growth um you can easily buy into let's get exposure to what in green trees case is the fourth biggest hospitality company in china um let's have a bit of exposure to that thanks very much because we've got this soar away company it's gonna it's gonna grow like a tech stock um mm. 
that doesn't look like the case anymore. Um, China's GDP growth is half of where it was. There's lots of uh, talk about how that GDP growth was, uh, in a way, uh, false. Um, it, it was built on over in investment in um, in infrastructure and things like that, which actually ought to, in, in normal accounting standards, ought to be written down, um, which would affect the numbers. But in in contrast, China hasn't, and how it's calculated its GDP is just added to the overall overall numbers. And this is over. This has um, some economists argue. I mean, I cite Michael Pettis, is a, a professor at uh, Peking University. Um, he, he's written a lot on this um, about how this the, we've had this exaggerated uh, GD these G, exaggerated GDP numbers. We've got the property collapse in China as well. Evergrande is just the just the, perhaps the noisiest bit of that, but that's going on across that market, which is twenty percent plus of the overall Chinese economy. Normal. Um, proportion of property related uh, uh, operations within an economy in the West would be say 10% so we've got this it's much bigger the proportion reliant on property and property development activity in the Chinese economy that's going into meltdown right now that's clearly going to have an impact and shave off um, significant amounts from their um, um, ability to grow um, and their, their, their growth numbers so I think I think this is this is difficult I think in many ways I think the you know if you think back Chris where we were what oh, 10 plus years ago every hotel company was being beaten up if it didn't have good Chinese exposure the, the, the great story then was you know China's going to be you know the next US only three or four times bigger and you needed to have exposure there I, a few people are saying that now um, and I think you know when you look at the, the reality of this I think China's going to be an important market but it's not going to live up to the hype you know, I mean, I, I admit I'll hold my hand up. You know, I've certainly bought into that hype, um, but it, it's not going to deliver on that, I don't think. And I, I, I dug out some numbers from um, IHG um, in their investor presentation um, um, in March, and uh, they they showed that in terms of total operating profit, and obviously just using 2019 because they're the only numbers which make any sense at the moment. Um, and in 2019, total operating profit in Greater China um, was 73 million US dollars. In the US or other the Americas, it's 700 million, almost 10 times more. And even in that rather extended region of um, EMEAA, which is sort of everywhere in the world except China and, and the Americas um, <laughs> the, the operating profit was 217 million about three times more and you know the size of the pipeline in China is pretty big 144,000 they've got a pipeline of uh, 93,000 rooms um, um, so it, it's not that much smaller that that it ought to be so relatively unprofitable so i think there is a you know there's a big question mark about what china is actually going to deliver for the for the in the global major hotel companies the western global major hotel companies i don't think it's going to deliver anywhere near the promise um 
that we were talking about say 10 years ago um it's still going to be a vital part of its um of the the net unit growth numbers of the global majors but uh, it, i'm rather talking sort of Accor's point here as sebastian bazan talking about is its quality of earnings not just absolute numbers and i think the numbers coming out of china um while they add to the total in terms of um of actual rooms they're not going to be adding a huge amount in terms of actual profitability um, and its growth in well the, the developed Western markets actually in North America and in in Europe, which is really going to deliver that profitability and really where we need to see um, growth coming, um, and that is what what's going to matter. And I think increasingly investors are going to start nuancing their. Um, look at nug i mean nug is a sort of useful tool in terms of um you know having a you know this nug to show whether a company is growing or not but in terms of what's delivering profits it's going to be nug in uh, europe nug in north america that's really going to count uh five star and no star awards for this week and no stars this week go to uh, the ota trivago uh, the Australian authorities have fined them uh, $44.7 million because apparently they, they were misleading customers by uh, promising best rates, but actually they were listing uh, the hotels uh, in, in the order on which they, they earned the most commission. So um, uh, the regulators in Australia reckon that that particular activity cost Australian consumers around $30 million. So they'll have all that back and some more, please, with a big fine. Um, and uh, five stars go this week to uh, the chairman of Minor International, Bill Heineke. We hope we've said that correctly, Bill. Um, he's uh, published an open letter calling on the Thai government to scrap their restrictive entry requirements for international vist visitors, which he'd called futile and ineffective. Um, very discouraged. Two points, really. One uh, regarding um, the whole Trivago thing. What upset the Australian authorities over um, more than anything else uh, was how they believed Travago was misleading consumers and it's this consumer deception piece they got very irate about and the fact that they were promising to deliver the the cheapest deals when in fact they were promoting the most profitable um, ones. deals <laughs> where they were getting the best yeah the best commissions and i think that that um, was, it was just false advertising if you like and i think that's what's upset um the authorities and you know travago um has amended that and corrected that but i um, mean i think there's a lesson and a warning there for uh, how, how this is approached um, um and i think you know rightly the australian uh, um consumer watchdogs were, were hot on that one um regarding um minor um um and the complaints about the COVID strategy, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, we've, we've just talked about this at, at, at ad infinitum. Um, it, we just need to sort this out and move on. Um, and it's still it's still there. It's still going on in places. Um, you know, we, I, we talked last week about my trip to Costa Rica, where we were, I, you know, I was having to use a, a mask at the buffet. It was just absurd. You had to stand in the queue at um, passport control with a mask on. And, you know, this, this, these silly irritations just need to go. And uh, um, it's really doing nothing. And, and, and it's just 
and unfortunately it's a sort of mad legacy it's it's one of these things that uh, you know once you introduce rules and laws mm. they're very hard to get rid of there's a um there's an um there's an iron law um, in 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 that in that once they come it takes so much more effort to actually get rid of the darn things um and we all sort of acquiesced at the time we were so nervous and het up about this we didn't realize just what we were having imposed on us i mean i congratulate those countries of which the uk is one which has said right we're scrapping the lot um you'll note um you know some people have found it much harder um in 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 wales chris i would point to your government there which has <laughs> sort of tried to cling on to these powers they had a grim yes. life i mean even you know even in london you've got you've got the you've got the mayor uh, um, of london Sadiq khan trying to impose masks on the on the transport system it's just pointless and everybody's ignoring it so just give it up it just makes you look foolish um trying to impose this and i you know th there is a real cost to this stuff and you know people have the argument oh oh it doesn't really matter it's not that much of an inconvenience well yes it is and it does impact day-to-day -day existence it does impact how how well you know something like uh hospitality it's an experience it's impacting that experience and is going to impact the the level of demand for that experience if you've got to have all these inconveniences so it's time it really is time that we we moved on from this now and just got back to it um you know and th there is this legacy piece i still uh you still see it i mean i was at the theater uh, at the weekend and uh, you know there are still people wandering around with their masks on and you know i get it that they're frightened they're scared um the fact they're probably doing almost nothing to protect them um but you know these absurdities that we we, we we're living in um you know we, we've got to move on from i think um and it and it's difficult and certainly you know as businesses within the hospitality sector um i think it, it's it's very foolish indeed if you encourage um any any customers to keep 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 on with this nonsense it, it's time it really is time to to move on with it and uh, you know i do you remember i mean do you remember chris when um I'm just thinking back to uh, the early days of the pandemic and there was all this talk about these protocols and oh, how yes. you were going to gain competitive advantage by um, by having cleaning regimes yes, and, yes. you know, you're going to be keeping people safe. Well, it's utter tosh, <laughs> you know. Um, I mean, let's drop yeah. it, actually. <laughs> well, I mean, um, I, I was just, you know, I was and, just and, judging you know, the uh, some, some entries for the Service Department Awards and uh, the, the applicants were, uh, were asked to... to to describe what they did to kind of uh, pivot their business and help their business during the pandemic and there was a lot about cleaning and I just thought well the problem with that is you're all doing it you're all saying you're doing it but actually you're all by implication saying you weren't doing a great job of cleaning beforehand <laughs> quite I, I mean I couldn't agree more this this focus on hand washing well what were you doing beforehand I mean I, yeah now it's brought up with a basic courtesy when you when you visit the bathroom you wash your darn hands it's it's yeah and this guy to say where is this you don't you know, know the protocol it, for it's, that it's weird actually it's, yeah it's it's, it's odd yeah. um, so i think it's just yeah basic hygiene and things which ought to have been part of it anyway um yeah. i guess it's it's good and at one level it's been highlighted but please let's get on with enjoying things rather than focusing on the negative aspects uh, and dream of a frictionless trip to Thailand before very long. We'll say goodbye for now.